Some songs are just so good, you just keep singing them over and over, right? Amazing Grace. I remember that there was a time in our life when we thought, what a friend we have in Jesus, the one hymn that Sally could play regularly. And those four small churches, if we sang that one more time, we didn't know if we could do it or not. But after then, we quit singing it, and I miss those words and just what it means, what a friend we have in Jesus. Such a, a beautiful Beautiful picture for us all. I've moved from one house to another many times in my life for many kinds of reasons. The first time I remember moving that mattered was when I was going to be in the sixth grade, and we moved to the country from the city of Garland, or actually the country surrounding Garland, to the, to the outskirts of Copeville, Texas. Copeville, Texas had about 100 people in it. It was nine miles from the high school we would attend, and we were really out in the country, not just kind of on Beltline Road in Garland before Beltline grew all up, but really, we moved to the country. And that was great for a while. Then all of a sudden, this, there were no friends there. You know, they lived elsewhere. And so it was a journey to go anywhere. And then I began to fall in love just with the peace and the quiet and being out in the country, aggravating my older brother to death, torturing him beyond... Christianity, <laughs> aggravating my sister, which was part of my job as a middle child, keep everybody politely humble. I remember in one of my humble versions, mother got an idea. And, you know, you only sit your children in chairs for so long, and then they get too old, and you can spank them until they get to be close to as large as you, and then you know what to do. But she came up with a new way of getting my attention. It was called mowing down the milkweed and the sunflowers in 20 acres of pasture. <laughs> now, by the time you go down through there with a hole like a scythe and you cut a swap and you turn around and look at what little you just did and look at how much is left, it became easier to aggravate less. <laughs> it was a great, a great uh, motivator. I remember moving into Farmersville when I got married. You know, that'll make you move a lot of times, right? When you get married, well, that we did. I remember the days in Arlington before marriage when I moved into a, an apartment in Arlington with three other guys. And I was about to say I could tell you a lot about those experiences, but really I, I can't. <laughs> Let's just say I learned a lot. I remember being called to ministry after we moved into a new house that we had built ourselves. Had been there one, actually less than a month, whenever I told Sally, I knew without a doubt I was called to preach. And I knew that meant the new house we'd just built wouldn't be ours for long. And we'd begin a journey of moving. And I feared the Methodist Episcopal system. You say, what do you mean you feared? I saw preachers move a lot when they came and left in our towns. And I didn't want to do that, but I knew that's what I had to do. Because that was what the voice of the Spirit was telling me to do. While everything else about me was crying out, but God, what about my children? They'll be raised here, there, and everywhere. What about my wife? You think she'll come? Uh, what about my family? I'll miss all the family gatherings or all the holidays. What about, what about, what about? And finally it just came down, are you going to do it or not? And I said I would. And so we did. So we sold that house and bought a disaster of a house. And we tried to make it better, and we broke down in the middle of it and just sold the mess to somebody else. And, and then we moved to our first appointment in Ector, Texas. Actually, our second appointment, but the first house we moved to. And since that time, I've not moved nearly as much as I thought we would. 
because we've stayed in long, place, long amounts of time everywhere we've been. But we moved again yesterday. I don't move in exactly the same way I moved when we moved to Farmersville. I was engaged as a young teen to help. I don't move the same way we moved into six or seven different homes that we lived in in Farmersville as we'd fix one up and sell it and go get another one because then I actually did the moving. Now I just worry about the moving, you know, and try to stay away from the movers because I hire people in to come in and move us so my body won't feel like it feels this morning because it doesn't matter how much you try to stay away from it. You have to make the choice sooner or later. Am I going to help or just watch? It feels so weird to just watch. I wish that I'd just watched. <laughs> so somebody said when I got up, I think it was John who whispered it after reading the scripture, man, how long is today's sermon going to be after all that? <laughs> Not very long because I don't have that much to go give you this morning. Physically, I don't think, although that sometimes uh, turns out differently than I think. Jesus, you laid down your life so that I could be set free. Galatians 5 is still on that same topic about what it means to follow Christ, but now the, the problem with justification by faith and faith alone is the way people interpret it. And so Paul is addressing that directly and specifically here, and that is the main content of this message this morning. Is what does it mean for God to come down and set us free? What does it mean to be set free from religiosity Thank God. Could you imagine me as a pious, religious person? Can you imagine me in the formal religious things of the day being all so tied up in that that was everything? I would be a disaster. I know a lot of other people who'd be dis- who would be a disaster. I know a lot of people who also find comfort in the religiosity that they're currently living. That's a disaster too, but it's of a different making. You have to be careful about being religious because when you come in religious about things, you get trapped by it. I got up this morning to go to my room and find everything I would exactly need for getting ready for church. The trouble is, I don't know where it is. I went to where it's supposed to be, but the closet's different. It wouldn't hold what was there. I packed all that necessary stuff in about three places, and I only had one of them unpacked. So... It's a mess. This moving stuff is a mess. For the first time in our life, we slept with windows uncovered. God bless our neighbor if they live upstairs next door. It probably shocked them a lot more than it bothered us. But at this point, you know, it is what it is, right? Here Jesus came and laid down his life so that we could be set free. But what does that mean? And how in the world do you explain that to a person who doesn't understand Christianity? How do you make it clear to them that being set free doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do without it sounding like it's a part of religion and church? How do you explain to them that there's an important ingredient to what we say and what we mean when we say, I have faith in Jesus Christ, and I trust in that faith alone to save me? Because it can really get twisted around, right? Right? Suffice it to say what Paul gives as a warning to these Galatians is that this does not mean that we're given our freedom to do whatever we want to do. It does not mean we're given our freedom so that we can cave in, if you will, or allow all that our flesh cries out for. 
It does not mean that simply because we've had faith in Jesus Christ that when we die, we'll go to heaven, although it does mean that. That's not the total goal of it. In fact, that's the natural result of it. It's not really the goal. The goal is to get into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we can live and be a changed person, a spiritual being, much like Jesus when he walked the earth to the, to the extent to which it's possible for each of us. So when you wanted to tell somebody about the truth of the gospel, you say, well, all you have to do is have faith in Jesus, and they go, well, that's simple. I can do that. But then when you get to adding what faith in Jesus means, they're going, wait a minute, I joined up for the simple thing. You know, I come to church, I worship, I rise at the right time, I sit at the right time. They're really confused by us because we're liable to stand at any moment. I don't know how many Aggies we have in our midst, but it must be too many. Because they just stand up all the time. Most Methodist churches don't do that, but we love to stand around here. Okay, so what does it mean to be free in Christ? And how can we understand that so it makes sense to us first? Because if I ask you to explain that, you might bog down yourself just in how you think about it. What it meant to Paul and what he was telling the Galatians is you're free from legalistic rules but bound by a new freedom because that freedom is based in your relationship with Christ which inspires us as the Spirit leads it because Spirit is God-breathed, right? We're God-breathed to walk by the Spirit not by the flesh. We, the yields of such a life is a change of character. It's a change in purpose. And it's a love for others, even as we love ourselves. Now, when you think about all of this, and you roll it all together, you see conflicts coming up right all, all the time. I had a conflict yesterday. In the best of intentions, Steve Childress called me on the phone while I was on vacation and because it's Steve, I took the call, I'll admit it. And he wanted to have us Aggie date night. Okay. Steve, we'll have an Aggie date night. I thought that meant three months later in the fall. Maybe six months later. That's what I thought. And he says, how about Friday the 15th? I said, Steve, I'm on vacation Friday the 15th. He said, well, when will you be back? I said, well, I'll be back in the pulpit on the, sixth, on the 17th. He said, well, how about the 16th? Sure, Steve, let's do it. More succinctly, what I meant was, why not do it, Steve? Doug's not going to do much of it, but go ahead. Yeah, that's, that sounds good. I'll be back in town. Steve said, okay. I also told him, by the way, we're moving somewhere around there. Move date turned out to be the 15th until the storm blew in. Y'all noticed the storm? That means we moved the 16th. And yesterday afternoon, about 4, when the last load had gotten from the house, the last things we were going to pick up, Sally comes in to me and says to me, you're not really going to that thing tonight, are you? <laughs> Where is Steve? Where are you sitting out there, Steve? Oh, yeah, right there. I said, I told Steve I'd be there. And she said, well, I'll call Steve and tell him you're not. She said another thing or two along with that. It has something to do with me, I think, uh, and how I need to be home. And I said, darling, how long have we been married? I have to go. I said I would. She turned and I turned and we worked in different rooms. But she acted all cheerful within the hour whenever I took our first shower. 
about an hour before it started here and still got here on time. Our first, my first shower, I should have said, instead of an hour, she was still working. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a long time ago, I made the decision that in things I said I would do as a pastor, I would do. A long time ago, I said I would put Christ first in the activities of the Christ Church until it fell into direct conflict with the well-being of my family or for something I could not control. So I looked at Sally. She, she looked a lot better than I did, so I thought I'd just go. You say, are you in trouble, though? I said, no, I blamed it all on Steve Childress. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Sarah said, you don't really have to go. Yes, she's helping move, eight months pregnant, but she's saying, you know, we're not really going, right? I said, I got to go. How did I make that decision? Not out of fear for my life, because Sally might still take that, but because a long time ago, I made a decision as a pastor of things I would do and some things I would not do, and that was one of them that I would do what the church needed me to do to the best of my ability. And I knew we would survive if some moving waited until this afternoon, so I made that decision. But you have to make decisions every day of your life just like that, too. Because, you see, when we were freed from the legalistic rules to a relational covenant with our God... The change in character that results causes us to change our purposes and causes our love for others to mean that we will sacrifice what's easy and most reasonable at times for ourselves. I could have picked up the phone and said, Steve, I can't make it. They would have survived, no doubt about it. But I felt like my place would be there. Now, the warning Paul says is your freedom is not to be used to please your own flesh. Now, when Paul is talking about flesh in the Scripture, he's talking about a specific thing. He's talking about the life of a human being that has not been come under control of the Spirit. That's the life of the flesh. He's talking about the normal human urges of fallen humankind, because we've all fallen from from, uh, God's presence, just like we did in the Garden of Eden. We've all done that. He's talking about the fallen nature that is common to every human being that has not been impacted and changed by the power of God's Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. He's not just talking about the flesh in general, but very specifically, he's talking about the things of the flesh that will always plague us. The flesh with the absence of the leading of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. The difficulty in our American Christian culture is we are trained pretty much at this point to be all about ourselves. It's true that the self is the center of American rights, individual rights. The problem with that is that does not jive with Christianity. For instance, I know that next year, Lord willing, I'm still alive, that I'm going to work on a walk to Emmaus type at Kairos event which Chad will be leading as spiritual director, in, in the prison. I know I'm going. Am I looking forward to it? Don't tell Chad, but not exactly. I've been on enough of those walks, and you're worn out after one of those 72-hour deals, and they're not nearly as intense as going in and out of the prison and being with the folks there. So I'm sort of looking forward to it. You know, they meet about three out of the four Saturdays right before he goes to for training. Am I looking forward to that? No. 
Will they be telling me anything I don't already know from my other work in Emmaus for years? Probably not, except that which relates specifically to prisoners. But Chad is so convincing in what he has done and what he's experienced and as he tells about people's lives that have changed that I want to be there because I love him and because I love the men behind those walls and somebody had to help me do that because I don't love prisoners easily or naturally. It's hard to think you're going to prison where people who are residing there have done terrible things to humanity and your first urge might not be to love them. That's why I'm going to go this year to that another walk just to go and hear testimonies from them. By the way, you can all sign up this week or next week and go. You have to be cleared through the state to go. It would be cool if we just filled up the place with Christians who are there who don't know any of those prisoners to say to them, we care about you. We love you even though we know you've made mistakes. You can live again in a different way. So that's why I'm going to sign up to make that trip one Sunday right after church is over. Will I be really eager about that 30 minutes after service is over when it's normally my time to wilt and crawl away in the shadows somewhere and rest? Probably not, but I'll go. I'll go because a long time ago I I learned one lesson at least in life, if nothing else, and that is that my word means something and what I'm willing to do for Christ should have no boundaries if I feel called to do it. That means going to Germany to play baseball or whatever it may be or however it means whatever God is calling you to do. Because you see, if you don't do that, then you'll end up with a faith that is fleshy. And nothing is more destructive to Christianity than fleshy faith. Oh, I'm a Christian. Wow, I saw you mowing the yard last Sunday. Did you not go to church? Would you believe I went to church on Saturday night? No, I saw you out in the yard that day too. Would you believe I went Wednesday last week? No, I wouldn't believe that either. Would you believe that I shouldn't have told those three lies to you right now? And they'd say, yes. But then you say, well, I needed to stay home for this reason or that reason. Hopefully you had a good reason, right? Because you needed to explain it to someone who's asking you about your faith. You wouldn't didn't want to say, I just didn't feel like going, so I stayed in bed. That's the flesh, right? You ever feel that way some Sunday mornings? <laughs> Sally said, yes. I said, yes. This morning when I got up, I went, really? Sunday? Bad planning. Then I remembered who planned. So here I am. Our freedom is not to be used to please our flesh. And we say, you know how difficult that is in our American culture? Yeah, we understand how difficult it is. But let me read you something. You know, I don't want you to miss this because this might be something you want to remember. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then he goes on down there, and he says, after giving that long list of of walking by the flesh, he says that phrase, underlined in my Bible, People who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, wait a minute. You said if we believe, then we're saved. Yeah, I said that. And it's still true. 
But if you're a believer who's living like an unbeliever, then your soul is in danger. You said, you mean I got to be perfect? Didn't say that. That's a good goal to have. What I am saying is the spirit-led life lives its life in a different way than the life that's led by the pleasures of the flesh. And if we're not working and striving and struggling to do the best we can in those situations, even though we know that we'll fail sometimes, if we're generally going in the right direction, then we're in a good we're in a saving relationship. But if we're really not going in that direction much at all, we're just kind of playing the religious game, our souls are in jeopardy. I don't say that with joy because I, th- I know that all of that is relative. Sometimes I look like as strong a Christian as, as the next person who's fired up for Jesus. But sometimes, I, you know, my walk gets a little frail. You say, well, when is that? Well, I'm not telling you. You couldn't handle that. You'd be wanting to help me change it. And I've already got Sally for that. She lets me know when I need to straighten up. You know, but the reality is a life that's not spirit-led, scripture-led is giving in to the flesh. And sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's anything too big. So, okay, I go to church a couple of times a month. Really? Your lousy little soul got saved by Jesus Christ, and you say you love Jesus, but you, and you can only manage two times for an hour and a half, giving you the benefit of the doubt, saying we have a long service. You got three hours you can worship Jesus who saved your soul for eternity in a month. Those are called regular Christians in America today. Aren't you glad you're not a regular Christian? Aren't you glad that you're led by the Spirit to worship every time you can? And that you're teaching your children to do the same thing? It matters. Because you see, if we're going to say we're walking a certain way, then we need to act that out. It needs to show in our lives. It means that neighbor that followed me home the other day, I told you that story about, you know, the neighbor who told me I was driving too fast when I wasn't. I blessed him out by correcting his erroneous thinking. What I didn't do is cross over to where he was. Why? Because that would have been fraught with danger. I was tired, he was young, and I wanted to smack him. (laughs) Fruit of the flesh. I thought he might understand that. But I didn't. I said my piece. I turned around and I walked off. For his his good thinking, he didn't say anything else. So that was a good thing. You say, well, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. That when we live by the Spirit, our fleshly decisions will be fewer and fewer. As we grow older in the faith. And as we learn more about God. I'm trying to say that you can't just do anything you want to and still look people in the eye and say, I'm a Christian, but I am free in Christ so I can do whatever I think is right. No, you can't. Unless what you think is right is bound by your understanding of Scripture. And even then you can be wrong, right? You are aware that you may have some parts of your faith that you think are correct that may not actually be guided by the Scripture and its correct interpretation, right? I don't mind being caught wrong by God when I'm trying to do what's right because I know I'm forgiven for that. What worries me about are the things I do with the freedom that I have that might got, could have been used in better ways by God. 
You say, well, how worried are you about that? Constantly. Why? Because constantly my flesh tempts me. You say, well, you're a preacher. You're getting old. Don't you know you're supposed to have whipped all of that? Well, I'm not as old as you think, maybe. The battle goes on. Things I used to fight about, I don't fight about those things anymore. I used to struggle with keeping my attention focused. I wanted to get out of church quickly because I, I had something important to do. I had to play golf Sunday afternoon. And, you know, that, that was a problem until it wasn't. You, the, the thing is, flesh and spirit thing is a real tricky thing, and many people misunderstand it, and they take leave of their, of their spiritual senses and think that they can just do whatever they want to do and it still is the, a good and, and proper way to express their faith and who they are. Well, it's really not. Our lives are about our choices, even after we've made a decision to believe. I looked at a young couple who gave up their week's vacation to go to youth camp, or part of their vacation time, to go to youth camp with the youth. And I'm thinking, man, you must really be a Christian to use your vacation for that. They pay me to do those kind of things, you know. But they're doing it out of their love for the youth. Imagine that. The struggle continues just at different levels, but the struggles matter. Life is hard. And I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm coming to the end, and I need to be. Romans 12 and 1 adds a little to the conversation. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed by the world, but be ye continually transformed by the continual renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That only happens as we grow up in our minds with Christ. The more we think like Christ, the less war the less the war rages. The devil gets more subtle as we get, more, as we get smarter. In all that work of transformation, we have character changes. We have changes of our minds and hearts, which then make the decisions we make more like the decisions Christ would make in our life. A life ruled by the flesh is not a spirit-led life. It has to do with how, what you do with your money. It has to do with what you do with your time. It has to do with what you do with your tongue. It has to do with what you do with your hands. It has to do with what you give God in worship of him because he's your good, good father. Because he sent Jesus who, who gave you the freedom you have. It's the same thing you explain to your children when they're teenagers and then you watch them, right? You explain to them why they should not do this and why they should do this. And you know, the older they get, and as that gene kicks in that is normal to humans, that rebellion that comes along, it's natural, they say, it's just daddy. He'll never know. <laughs> She'll never find out. Mama, Mama doesn't know who's who I'm with. She thinks I'm with my friend. I told her to say the right thing. I'm covered. She forgot about the friend telling another friend who told their mom who didn't call your mom. Stuff happens, right? And you know, you can't fool God any more than you can fool your parents. In fact, you can fool your parents more than you can fool God, 
and you can't fool your parents too well. With God, you have no chance at all. Now, why is it important is that? Because this is talking about, this passage of Scripture is talking about not just living for heaven, but living for Jesus now. Does that make a difference? You better believe it makes a difference. And I worry sometimes about younger generations, which is a sure sign you'll be quick to tell me, I know, that that means I'm getting older, and you're right. You're right. I worry about young pastors. You know why? Because a lot of them come into the ministry today, and they're a product of their culture. They want to do ministry in 40 hours a week. They want to be home with their families at nights. They don't want to have to work weekends. They don't want to have to put up with people who just don't get it. Well, then get out of ministry. If you want a life that just lets you do what you want to do with your time, then get out of ministry because ministry is not for you. One of the greatest complaints out there alive now for those who are under the age of 35, and I know I'm not talking to all of you, I'm speaking generally, is they don't know how to work and they want all the benefits the first day they arrive. Now, if you're young, you're thinking, that's a terrible thing for you to say. Yep. But it's not me saying that. I'm quoting somebody actually at that point. There are lots of employers out there that are saying the same thing. You know, you try to tell people how to behave. I tell staff the same thing. Here's what I expect. I tell them when we hire them. If you wanted a 40-hour job, this isn't it. I'm not going to try and kill you, but if you're here to count hours, go somewhere else and count them there. If you're not going to give your life to Christ, you're not going to sacrifice yourself for the church, then you're not going to be a good influence on the church. Does that mean you don't hire some people? Sure it does. Does it mean you let some people go? Sure it does. Does it mean they always understand? Nah. But for some they do. You know who worked as much as anybody at my house? It's a less than 30-year-old. It's Lauren Shirley. She'll be a little embarrassed for me saying that. But, you know, I was talking to her mother about something else, and her mother said, this person shouldn't be doing that. They are no better. I said, well, yeah, but they're not all like Lauren because they weren't all raised like Lauren. And they didn't make the same decisions Lauren made. Lauren doesn't think like a mid-20-something-year-old. How old are you, Lauren? I forget, 26, 25? I don't know how she's 25. I don't know that. I don't get that because she's way too mature for 25. But you know who's crawling in those cabinets that I could never crawl in and put down that stupid shelf paper that Sally wants to put down so much? <laughs> Lauren. Spent the whole day doing that. Showed up. How can I help? How can I help you? Is a request born out of love for someone else. It's a Christian heart. And then she gave up her day off and her next day off too to do it. That's what we have to do as a church to reach an unbelieving generation. I'm humbled by the fact she was there. And Cindy, who was covering the office most of the time, in and out too, helping as well. I expected out of Cindy. She's old enough to know she needs to be over there helping me, right? <laughs> I also give her permission to not do anything she doesn't want to do, right? I'm humbled by the fact that Lauren Cabe did that. I'm humbled by the youth who wanted to tear something else out. So I gave them hammers and they tore it out in a storage house that needed to be removed from our backyard. I'm humbled that people want to help other people. When I see it, when I see you do it, I'm humbled by it. I should, I know it's going to take a little bit of a minute. Give me this minute. We now have in our office fresh, healthy water, not only for, to drink out of a bottle, 
but to be in the machine where you can get drinks, tea, coffee, whatever, and it comes not with tap water, but from water supplied by Brian Rose. How about that? He put the silly water, it even goes into our ice cubes now. He fills up that water jug and keeps it rolling for us. Now, I'm aware that's because of Debbie more than for anything, because Debbie's back in our office, but, you know, I'm not just teasing. But, you know, you, you hear stories about Brian and a lot of different stories. He didn't ask anybody about that. He just showed up and did it and put it in and gave it to the people, sacrificing profit and time out of his love for his church. That's what I'm talking about. So if you're under 35 and you're going, we're not as bad as you think, show me, please. Make me eat those words. Be at the church where the doors are open. And some of you are. I see some of you that are. And God bless you. When you go to, a, to be employed somewhere, work yourself like you own the job, like it was your company. Don't be an hour counter. Don't be a lazy 30-something-year-old. You know who the most of the people were who helped us move when we moved all the furniture? Most of them were people over 50, and most of them were people over 60. And I was humbled by that. You know why? Because just like this morning, I knew their bodies would be hurting the next day. <laughs> you got to get in there and keep giving. It becomes a mindset. You can't give too much of yourself away. And this is how services get too long because I have a long passage of Scripture and I, I want to be sure and get the point in. But I want to let you go too. Well, I don't really want to let you go. But it's time for us to go. I want to pray for you, and I want you to ask yourself to ask you the question regularly this coming week. When you're about to do something at work, at home, or you're about to schedule something with your time, is this a calling of the flesh, or is this a calling of the spirit? Which is it? I dare you to begin to make those decisions based upon the calling of the spirit as to the calling of the flesh and what you want, because I want to hear what you tell me has happened to you when you begin to make those decisions in your life. Don't be afraid. My children moved all over the North Texas, and they're pretty well-adjusted young adults now, I think. I was afraid they couldn't survive the moves. God took care of them. They did well, and so will you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, we love you, and we give ourselves to you. And when we don't, send someone to whisper a warning in our ears that it's time for us to live for you. It's time for us to be the kind of people who walk a certain way that causes other people to say, how does that person do that? I need to ask them. And then, Lord, give us the words to tell them. It's because we love a good, good father. And that love compels us to love others in the same way. May it be true for all of us. There's one here, Lord, who does not know that love for you, does not know Christ as their Savior. Move them to come to us today as we stand and sing our closing song together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.